So you always want to be prepared to... To set goals. To be really disruptive. Diversity is fundamental. It is just trusting those super strengths. To recover from those failures and, and learn from them. Humility looks like the softest word, but it's kind of the hardest. We ourselves are in beta mode. Life goes on. Sporting Edge, inside the mind of champions. Welcome to the Inside the Mind of Champions podcast. My name is Jeremy Snape. I'm a former England cricketer with a master's degree in sports psychology. Since retiring, I've been fortunate to work with and interview some of the world's most successful thinkers and performers. And I'm passionate about translating their habits and routines into practical strategies to help you become more successful. In each episode, I'll be dissecting a common performance challenge to help you improve your mindset, your leadership and your team performance. To me, our mindset is the next frontier. So let's find out why. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Inside the Mind of Champions. Today we're going to focus on the role of innovation in driving a competitive advantage in both sport and business. And most importantly, the kind of mindset, leadership and culture we need to foster innovation. Here's a taster of what's to come. Well, this is the fantastic thing about Formula One and makes it so interesting. Every single time we turn a wheel, we're trying to uh, develop, improve, uh, improve the speed of the car and therefore improve the results. And if you don't, you will get left behind because every other team is doing the same. Well, jazz is the sound of people negotiating change and uncertainty and disruption. It's, uh, it thrives on uncertainty. One piece of advice I'd offer to leaders in this period of kind of ongoing change is to drop the word change. Stop using it. Um, and substitute instead the word experiment. Not being able to question the status quo really affects the workforce. Um, and not being able to step outside of the regulated norms in order to do something a little bit more differently gets in the way. We all know organisations need very strategic people. They need also good operators. But increasingly, I think you need very good collaborators. And that is one of the hardest skills to find. And if you're looking for good, if you like, collaborators who always succeed, I think you'll be spending a lot of time looking around for those people because most good collaborators fail at some point in the, in the time. I've been delivering lots of webinars for corporate clients around the world and helping them to move from this position of defensive, cost-cutting survival mode and into this more creative and collaborative space where we need to accelerate our businesses out of the pandemic. I know we're a long way from seeing the end of our battle with COVID-19, but one year on, I think we're just starting to believe that the worst is over. And I know here in the UK, it's been an absolutely brutal time for some small businesses and major businesses. And it's great to see that this roadmap that was extended out by the government is starting to come true. It's been a bit surreal looking at LinkedIn and social feeds where people in the States and Australia and New Zealand especially seem to be meeting up and seeing friends for big events and barbecues. And it seems so alien to us because we've hardly been out of the house you know, for, for three months or so, but um, hopefully we're allowed to come out and play soon and, and we'll be able to reconnect with friends and, and business colleagues as well. 
I really hope that you're safe and well and that your career and your business has been able to weather the storm. Um, I've had so many emails and messages from people saying that our interview content around resilience, leadership and career change has been helpful. So I'm thrilled to have been able to support you through that period. Here's a quick mention to some of those people sending personal messages via email to hello at sportingedge.com. And actually, we had a great um, review from Chris Oll on the Apple podcast platform who said this podcast has helped me massively in literally every aspect of my life. Definitely worth listening to. This podcast is a game changer. So thanks very much, Chris, for your message. And also Lily from New Zealand and Lizzie from up in Durham. Uh, great emails for, from you and a fascinating chat with a chap called Steve from F1, who's loving the podcast. And we also discuss some ideas uh, for future episodes. So great to hear that some of the Formula One teams are listening in to the podcast. So that's a, a good link for us to think about our first insight from our digital library. It comes from a day I spent with Force India a few years ago. And this insight's from Andy Stevenson, who's now a key leader in the new Aston Martin F1 team. I asked Andy to give me a sense for the culture of innovation that sits behind the F1 cars that we see whizzing around the track. Well, this is the fantastic thing about Formula One and makes it so interesting. Um, and it's why we tend to find once people get involved in the industry, they never leave. It, it changes at an, at an enormous speed. I mean... People at home would believe that they're seeing the same car race from race to race. So, for instance, if we were racing in Monaco one weekend, Canada the next, it's the same car. It, it is a very, very different car. We're permanently tuning the cars um, for specific circuits, but we're also developing the cars. Uh, Formula One is non-stop development. We don't just design the car. Once we, once we receive the rule book, uh, we don't design the car and leave it at that. Every single time we turn a wheel, we're trying to uh, develop, improve, uh, improve the speed of the car and therefore improve the results. And if you don't, you will get left behind because every other team is doing the same. I love that phrase. Every time the wheel turns, we're looking for improved performance. I think this is a brilliant starting point for us to illustrate the mindset that's needed at the heart of innovation. But it comes with a challenge. Can you imagine spending days and nights getting the car finely tuned for a race in Monaco and then almost having to dismantle it and start again for the next race? They've got to adjust to the conditions of heat and moisture and track design. And every week brings a new challenge. I think that's an amazing mindset to be able to adopt. But it's going to take an incredible hunger to find that next competitive edge find that advantage and, and be able to test your own personal skills and your collective skills to try and find that extra split second here and an extra split second there, because those are the tiny margins that we're talking about, especially in Formula One. But you've also got to let go. Imagine being you know, so proud of the work in aerodynamics that you've done around a particular spoiler design or the engineers have put together this brilliant suspension setup for the car to win in a particular race and then you've got to start from scratch and let that go ahead of the next race you've got to start again our focus needs to be thrown forward onto the core purpose of the organization and that's all about making the car go faster than it's ever gone before and when that quest is laid down anything else becomes you know, everything is open to improvement from that point. But I think when we throw our minds forward to the purpose of our organisation, 
that's when we can start to let go of some of the pride and some of the detail and some of the bureaucracy that holds us back because our customer or the race or the competitors are going to produce a faster car and we've got to keep moving forward every step of the way. So I think this mindset of curiosity and questioning sits right at the heart of the innovative team. But it's also about breaking this idea that innovation is something that's done by a boffin in a white coat down the corridor in the innovation chamber or lab. Innovation isn't a role or a person. It's a team sport and we've all got an equal share in bringing innovation to our organisations. So we need to create a culture where innovative ideas can flourish from anywhere at any time. Our second insight into innovation comes from a very different world, and this is the world of jazz music. Dominic Aldis is a fascinating leader who's one of the world's best orchestra conductors, and he also plays in a jazz band, which is a complete contrast, where the orchestra is all about preparation and accurate precision and execution. The jazz band calls for a very different approach, where little is planned and the musicians are playing off each other and have to trust their adaptability to make the music happen. This is Dominic Aldis. Well, jazz is the sound of people negotiating change and uncertainty and disruption. It's, uh, it thrives on uncertainty. Uh, jazz is boring when it's merely repeating something that worked well in the past. So a really fine jazz band is constantly trying to interrupt itself to force itself to play things in different ways. So for me that has a great resonance outside of music, just thinking about how a creative team is constantly thinking about how could we do things differently? How can we keep things fresh? How can we draw something new out of what we've played before that's going to keep us interested and also to excite our audience? And that's a mindset, you know, that's a mindset which is more open to risk and uncertainty rather than security and merely repeating something that worked well before. That's a great phrase. Jazz is the sound of people negotiating change. I'm sure even for the best jazz bands, it can sound a little bit messy in places as people find the timing, the tone and the themes that their fellow band members are starting to kick off in the next phase of the music. And I can imagine those periods of chaos feel a little bit frustrating, like you could panic a little bit that you don't know where it's going to go, but then some sense emerges and a new rhythm and a new melody comes out of it and you play your part in it. So there's a focus on fun and moving things forward rather than that oppressive micromanagement and looking back at a transition that didn't really work. And I think that's, you know, again, a mindset that we can try and capture, that we need to create something in collaboration. We don't really know what the future is going to look or sound like, but actually we can play together to our strengths and make sure that we relax through those periods of messiness. And I'm sure some sense will come from it. One of the challenges for us is that when we know we've got to drive change, change can breed panic and bring stress. And when stress levels go up, our learning and creativity comes down. So the language set that we use for creating this innovative culture is going to be really important. And there's a great insight from the time I spent with Professor Tammy Erickson from London Business School, who explains that point brilliantly. 
One piece of advice I'd offer to leaders in this period of kind of ongoing change is to drop the word change. Stop using it. Um, and substitute instead the word experiment. I'm a huge believer in creating a culture of experiments. Uh, Jeff Bezos, the CEO of Amazon, was quoted as saying that Amazon's success is a direct result of how many experiments they do every year, every month, every week, every day. And I love that sense of ongoingness, the normalness of trying something. And so the more leaders can talk about experiments rather than change, they again switch people into the excitement of discovery. Leaders should walk through their organizations and say, what are you experimenting with today? What are you trying that's new? What did you do last week that was different and what did you learn? That sense of experimentation and learning has to infuse an organization because we all need to be doing it all the time. And so get rid of the word change, exit out of your vocabulary and substitute experiment. I love the way that Tammy frames innovation as an experimental culture. Now, of course, if you're in regulatory compliance or developing nuclear warheads, you've got to be very careful how much experimentation goes on in your culture. But for the vast majority of us in sport or business, having a series of side projects, these little innovation test pods you know, running is, is a really good idea, whether it's from marketing campaigns with A-B testing or some kind of canvassing customer feedback to get some ideas of how you can improve. Or maybe in sport, it's using different innovative approaches and, and training setups to try and create a new set piece or a new counterattack. So there's lots of different ways that we can drop this culture of experimentation into our different environments. And for me, first of all, it's the mindset that to be curious about how to improve it and then it's looking for areas where we can take some of these risks, knowing that some of them will fail. Some of the experiments will blow up in our face, but they shouldn't be too catastrophic. And we should have the courage to try them and learn from them and repeat and, and improve them each time. So I love that feeling of it's organic, it's moving, it's dynamic. Uh, you know, we're, we're analyzing things, we're coming up with ideas, we're adapting them and retesting them. And there's definitely, if we get that in a positive mindset, a competitive spirit that you're trying to actually find the answer. You're trying to find a new way to win. And I think that's something that we can all get our teams behind. Now, the next challenge that we face is when and where to innovate. I know for Sporting Edge, when the pandemic hit, we needed to adapt our model significantly. So it's very fresh in my mind. We'd relied heavily on the revenue from our consulting, the face-to-face -face work and my corporate conference speeches around the world. And of course, they stopped pretty much, you know, abruptly. So the income stream did as well. So we had to, in order to retain all the staff and keep the business in its current format, we had to change something in the way we're offering and supporting our clients. So to do that, we moved to a webinar-based keynote sessions and also started to develop out our members club, which is a, a business to consumer type model. The first time that we'd had that. And that gives execs and coaches and entrepreneurs access to all of our video content and online events. But 
as a small business, we can't just stop everything and, and divert 100% of our resource into this new platform. So we had to keep the wheels turning on the core business and then be able to define these clear work streams and projects and timelines that we would allow you know, resource and investment and time to be put into this innovative project that, so that we could keep that building out and, and growing along the same timeline. So balancing where and when to innovate is really important. And I'm sure as you listen to this, you'll have a different set of criteria. Sometimes necessity forces innovation. Sometimes we've got this burning platform that we've got to get something out, you know, in the next month or the next two months. So that forces us to invest heavily time, energy and resource into our innovations. But, you know, other times we're trying to develop something a little over a longer time period. So, so we need to work out, you know, how and when to invest in that. We're going to hear now from Bernard Petois, who's the performance director at Cirque du Soleil from Montreal. They're widely recognized as one of the most creative organizations in the world. So I asked Bernard how they innovate and when they innovate. And here's what he said. That's if we have a show that is in performance now, uh, the margin of innovation is very, very small. I mean, it's incremental, let's see, progress in acrobatic. Maybe, you know, there is a, a, a skill or a twist or, you know, a, a somersault or a specific position that will be added over, over time or a little bit of a change in the act so that it's sort of refreshed and it, it stays live. So the chances of innovation on a, on a show in performance is, is quite small. Now, a new show calls for uh, innovation. And, and this, uh, this we, ad we address it in, in, in various ways. The first way to address innovation in a new show is to cast people that are offering new performances that we have never seen. That's one way. The other way is to hybrid performances in such a way that it gives, it opens a new door. And, and a new possibility. Another way is to provide an environment that has never been used as an acrobatic environment before and see what acrobats will do with that kind of environment and what they will come uh, forward with answers and solutions uh, with the director of the show and the coaches, obviously. So those are all of the possible uh, uh, innovation uh, avenues that we can we can do and most of the innovation uh, are done when we create the show uh, for the first time. So again there's marginal innovation in the current show um, you can't have someone just deciding on an evening that they're gonna you know come off the trapeze in a certain way differently tonight just to make it a bit different uh, that could end up in a bit of a mess. But the real innovation comes from the new show design when they're throwing all the possibilities open and they unleash all their creative talent to come up with ideas about it. So those sources of innovation are recruiting people that you think can perform in a very different way. They're bringing a brand new skill set that's going to be innovative. That's like plugging in talent with an immediate fix. Then the second one that Bernard spoke about was looking at these combinations of pre-existing skills 
but combining them in a new way. So you can imagine in the Cirque du Soleil kind of format, that might be a contortionist that's wrapping the body in all kinds of different shapes and painful positions, and also a clown alongside them trying to draw humour from that situation. So two pre-existing acts that are brought together to make a a great sort of um, sketch for the, the audience to see. And then we've got that other third example that Bernard spoke about, which is creating a brand new environment. And this might be where they've used a massive tank of water with synchro swimmers in, or it might be a a 30-foot trampoline wall that the acrobats are bouncing off the floor trampoline and the wall trampoline. And that creates this new sort of 3D environment for them to show off their skills. And through experimentation and creativity and the athletes and the, the actors coming from the bottom up with their ideas and creativity, that's where that innovation is coming from. So three very different approaches that we can start to reflect on. So I'm not suggesting for a minute that you should be asking HR for a trampoline wall in the canteen when you get back to the office, but we can definitely mimic some of these high performance strategies in our own world. Maybe it is recruiting somebody with a very different skill set that's going to help us to come together with a, a new creative or innovative product. Or maybe it's bringing together two existing departments or groups. Maybe it's the marketing team with internal comms and they can share ideas about how we can build the best behavior change strategy, both with an external perspective, but pointing towards internal comms and the culture of our organization. Or maybe we can combine a few key products and services into a new format to help our clients and customers to thrive. I really hope that these insights are sparking some fresh ideas for you. And before we hear from our next expert, I just wanted to give you the opportunity to join our members club. We launched this brand new solution in December and we've already got hundreds of members around the world joining this brilliant community. So they've got access to 600 of the insights that you've been hearing snippets from in the podcast from all the world's best thinkers and performers. It's like having your own dream team of mentors with advice on over 80 different performance issues on your phone at all times. So here's a little bit more information about how you can get involved. During times of uncertainty and pressure, your mindset will be the key to your success. Sporting Edge members have unlimited personal access to hundreds of video insights and performance strategies to accelerate their personal and professional success. This is your chance to get powerful weekly micro-lessons from the world's best thinkers and performers from elite sport. You'll be able to connect with a global network of entrepreneurs, coaches and senior executives on webinars, discussion forums and events. Become a Sporting Edge member and get access to the world's best coaches on demand. For more information, visit www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com. So this is a really flexible way to make sure that your personal and professional development is at the top of your game. And as a podcast listener, I'm going to give you a special discount code. So if you come over to sportingedge.com forward slash membership and then set up your account and put in the code podcast50 in the checkout, then you'll get your first month at half price, which means it's just £15 for that whole month, including VAT. So come over to sportingedge.com forward slash membership, and I'll look forward to welcoming you there. 
So we've spoken about the mindset and where and when to innovate, but let's take a closer look at the kind of culture we need to allow innovation to thrive. Our fifth insight from today's episode comes from Kirk Vallis, who's the global head of creative capability development at Google. And he shed some light on the conditions leaders and managers need to create to foster creativity and innovation in their business. It's an interesting perspective because the urgency and pressure to innovate can often close down our creativity. So when people ask me, how do we create the right conditions to help people have the most impact or do brilliant work? I think the first thing is to to think about what are the mental and psychological conditions you're trying to create. The the physical conditions help to drive that, but fundamentally in an organization like Google, we're knowledge workers, we're paid for our brains. That's, that's, That's what we're paid for. So that needs to be great. But we recognize that into that, becomes psychological safety. So ensuring how our people feeling able to be at their best, bring all of themselves to not only work every day, but the specific conversation or the meeting or the or the com- or the issue that's been being being risen. And then of course physical conditions, as we know, massively play a part on our on our on our mental state. So first top tip is what's the what's the mental condition you want? And it's often, in a business situation, it's often focused but relaxed. People always go, who are the most creative people you know? They, they have no magic source. What they have is the ability to stay focused and relaxed when under pressure or, or, or the importance of the situation is heightened. Um, the minute we allow the severity of a, of a problem we're trying to solve or the deadline that's looming, the minute we allow that to, to start to take hold in our heads, our ability to think differently about it is lost totally. So focused but relaxed is is, is what we often require when we are having, I, I call it expansive conversations, looking for new and different options in which to solve problems or maximise opportunities. So that's the challenge for many businesses that need to think expansively and explore different perspectives, but to do it at a time when they're under financial pressure or to hit those time deadlines. And that's why that Formula One approach is a brilliant one. And if we can try and replicate it, because they've got those key markers of the races in their schedule and they have sprints of work that lead up to those so that everyone stays on track and keeps things moving forward. As Kirk states, that relaxed focus needs to be in place. Otherwise, there's no point. If we've got a boss that's shouting at us and adding pressure and that's not going to help because our cortisol levels are going to go up and our learning and creativity are going to feel under pressure and we're not going to move that forward. And equally, if we're at the other end of the scale with no timelines, you know, and no pressure, then we've just got a load of happy thoughts coming out on paper or in discussion. So having that middle ground of a clear set of hypotheses or questions which need falsifying or answering is the perfect starting point. Innovation is all about making things better, faster and more effective. And that sounds ideal when you've got a blank canvas to start from. But the more mature and the bigger a business or organisation is, the more likely it is that you're going to have tangled yourself in systems and processes which inhibit agility and creative new solutions. Kalist Kuhn is a digital skills coach that explains the reality of trying to establish innovative sprints when your feet are stuck in the mud. 
Some of the business challenges that we see in the clients we work with. Um, traditionally, with bigger organizations, there's a lot of structure, process, and history in place. Um, and when that is there, it does slow down the rate of change and the pace of change that they're able to adapt, um, which you need you know, in this ever-changing digital economy. Often what that comes with is barriers and red tape and um, an aversion to risk-taking culture. In a landscape where we need to continue innovating and we need to continue pushing the boundaries in order to keep up with the disruption and the rate of change, not being able to um, have the permission that's necessary to be autonomous really affects the workforce. Um, not being able to question the status quo really affects the workforce. Um, and not being able to step outside of the regulated norms in order to do something a little bit more differently gets in the way. So as much as we'd like to see innovation as generating new approaches, the reality is that we need to factor in what we're going to stop doing as well. We need to assess what could derail us or hold us back in our innovation project before we start so that it's time well spent, that proactive time, because there's nothing worse than feeling that positive momentum of starting to move things forward and then all of a sudden feeling these major tangles and restrictions which are going to take away our motivation and focus and test everyone's patience. So innovation sounds pretty sexy, but like anything that delivers high performance, there's going to be lots of swamps and pitfalls and storms to navigate. And this is where we need a range of different perspectives and skill sets in our team. My team will tell you that I can come with loads of ideas before lunchtime, but if there's no one there to pick them up and drive them through to execution, then we're never going to get these innovation projects off the ground. So having you know, the completer finishers as well as the idea generators is absolutely pivotal to building an innovative team culture. Like most small businesses, we can change pretty quickly in direction if we want to. But if you're part of a bigger enterprise, creating a culture of innovation calls for some wider consideration. Mark Spellman is the former global MD of strategy at Accenture and now sits on the executive committee of the World Economic Forum, where he's supporting the future of the digital economy initiatives. He shares some advice with us for the super tanker businesses that are looking to create an innovative culture. Well, what you see a lot of companies doing is they go off to Silicon Valley, they go off and look, talk to a whole bunch of startup companies, and they're trying to sort of use that as a way of enthusing or sort of helping an established organisation to think a little bit about how it needs to get more entrepreneurial. I, I think that operates at the awareness level, but if you really want to get to true action, then you get, need to get at the attitudinal level, you need to think about the incentives in the organisation, and you need to think quite carefully about the signals that you're sending. And so to me, the way that you address that is, the problem is usually middle management. So the top management very often get it, but it's what I call the level three problem, which is the level three guys are gonna keep their heads down as long as they believe that it's in their best interest and gonna keep their jobs if essentially they keep uh, their heads down. So what you need is champions, particularly at the levels three, which is sort of two low levels below the board. And those are the gatekeepers, those are the people that you really need to convince that actually opening up enablement, experimentation are the right things to do. And so you've got to find both the right champions and also I think the right set of incentives in the organization, which basically says, Look, 
we're not going to get all of these right. And I suppose the challenge to a lot of leaders is, can you actually promote someone who's actually failed at a particular initiative? Because can you turn that failure around and say, that was a success because we actually learned a lot. We were able to apply it. And actually that person has learned a lot and we can see him moving forward. That's a very interesting sort of different mental model from where a lot of people are today. So that to me is the sort of something about both the humility, the flexibility, adaptability of leaders to be able to see that. It, it also shows you what type of people you want in your organization down the road because we all know organizations need very strategic people. They need also good operators. But increasingly, I think you need very good collaborators. And that is one of the hardest skills to find. And if you're looking for good, if you like, collaborators who always succeed, I think you'll be spending a lot of time looking around for those people because most good collaborators fail at some point in the, in the time. So in this episode of Innovation Seven Ways, we've heard seven different perspectives on innovation from Formula One to jazz to Google to the World Economic Forum and the London Business School. And they've all got practical applications to our careers, our teams and our businesses. The key messages for me are all about this insatiable desire to keep improving. Remember that Formula One line that every time the wheel turns, we're looking to improve. And that helps us to stay humble and stay curious and to keep looking forward. We have to have that clear direction and purpose to our innovation projects. But we also need to let failure and experimentation happen within them. Otherwise, we'll shut people's potential down. Remember, we can recruit innovators and create hybrid shows like Cirque du Soleil explained. But we also need to work out what's low innovation. So tonight's show is going to stay roughly the same, but next season's show might be completely different. And that's when we can open innovation out. That's when we really need to think about it. And we can also cut some of the red tape before we get started so that we can unlock these you know, creative people without too many barriers in the way. And when they get started and when we start to see some momentum, we can have new reward systems and talent pathways to make sure that we're signaling and incentivizing our people to move the business forward rather than just protecting their own careers and protecting the status quo. There's certainly loads of food for thought here. So I hope it's given you lots of ideas about how you can drive and spark innovation within your own businesses. I'd love you to share your feedback and connect with me on Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn. I'll be sharing lots more content with you there. And if you'd like me to deliver a webinar or a speech for your business, then you can reach me at hello at sportingedge.com. If you've got any questions or ideas for future shows, I'd love to hear from you. And please do use that podcast 50 discount code to make sure that you get half price on your first month of the membership. I'm sure you're going to love being part of that thriving community. So please do come across to sportingedge.com and I'll see you there. So I'll leave you to get innovating. Keep well and until next time, good luck. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Mind of Champions. Connect with Jeremy's LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram links in today's show notes to receive the latest insights from his work. If you'd like to get access to Sporting Edge's digital library or book Jeremy for a conference speech or webinar, then please visit www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com.